would like to welcome you to the monthly meeting of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. We're continuing to broadcast uh, these meetings. Uh, This is the September conference, uh, the afternoon meeting. We're very glad that you've been able to join with us. Uh, The opening hymn at the service this afternoon is the words, Redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. It's a great hymn of testimony. Uh, The words will come up uh, on the screen before you, and we do encourage you to join in in the singing of this great gospel hymn.
We're just going to commit the meeting to the Lord in prayer. We want the Lord to pour out his spirit and his blessing upon us. So we're going to just bow before him and seek his face. Father, we come before thee in prayer. We ask thee to help us. We're conscious of our need at all times. But especially, Father, we recognize our need as we come before thee at the throne of grace. We remember the great assurance of the book of Romans that the Spirit helpeth our infirmities with groanings that cannot be uttered. We pray the Spirit of God will come down upon us today and will come down upon this meeting. And we pray that the, the preacher especially will know the anointing of God resting upon his ministry. We thank you, Father, for enabling us to continue these meetings and the going forth of your word, even all across the earth uh, at this time of crisis. We thank you for the technology that has uh, made that possible. Thank you, Father, for all that are involved in the production of these uh, broadcasts. And we pray for your blessing uh, to be upon all that takes place. We recognize, Father, that we're separated by many miles There are those gathering uh, with us to to hear the broadcast uh, from different parts of the earth and how we rejoice in that, that we can meet together at the Saviour's feet, meet together around the throne of grace uh, and meet together for uh, the proclamation of your word. And Father, our desire is uh, today that we would be taught of God, Spirit of God, my teacher be, uh, showing the things of Christ to me. Remember your servant, Uh, Mr. Toms, we thank you for him. Thank you, Father, for his faithfulness uh, to the cause of truth and to the cause of the gospel. Thank you for sparing him, with giving him long life. We thank you for the good measure of health and strength that he and his dear wife continue to enjoy. We commit them to thee. Pray, Father, that you'll continue to strengthen them and to bless them. We pray that you'll use them greatly in coming days. We remember the promise that you can give us fruit in old age. And our prayer, Father, is that you'll fulfill uh, that promise, uh, even for your servants. Help our brothers, he'll speak, even in these unusual circumstances. We pray that he'll not feel hindered in any way. We pray, Father, that you'll give him liberty and grant him help. And our prayer, Father, is that you would speak uh, through him. We, we would ask, Father, even as we are considering the testimony of the prophets, that you'll make our brother even a prophet uh, to us uh, today, in this our own day and in our own generation. And Lord, we pray that you'll raise up prophets in our land in this dark and needy time. Lord, remember the words of the scripture that the mystery of iniquity doth already work. And Lord, we can see that tide of wickedness, that tide of iniquity rising even all around us. We ask thee to help us to to stand faithful. We pray, Father, that you'll enable us, even like Enoch of old, remember what Jude said of the ungodly people, that he lived among the ungodly days in which he was found, and yet he was a man that walked with God. And Father, grant us that grace that we might walk with thee too. We pray that our lives uh, would stand out and that we too would have that testimony uh, that we please God. We pray, Father, open your word. Uh, to us today. Give us light uh, from heaven. Pray your blessing will be upon this meeting from beginning to end in both of these conference meetings. We remember uh, the meeting that will take place again uh, this evening. 
do remember, uh, Father, the, the ministry of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. Uh, we thank you for it. We acknowledge again, Father, uh, your goodness to us. Great is thy faithfulness. Thank you for your provision. We thank you for the interest that there is in the prophetic scriptures. We pray that 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 interest will increase and that it will deepen among your people. We pray, Father, these things will be proclaimed in a greater way, that there will be more uh, ministers that will take these things upon their heart and proclaim them even to uh, their congregation. We thank you, Father, that you've given us light. Uh, We thank you for this book that's a, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And it's a light that shineth in a dark place. We rejoice to have this light. And our prayer, Father, is deepen our love uh, even for uh, the book of God. Remember, Father, uh, our land at this time and every land across the earth at this time of uh, pandemic, coronavirus. Lord, we ask thee to have mercy. We pray in wrath that you will remember mercy. Remember that Moses cried to the Lord to take away the plagues. Uh, of Egypt and Lord we cry to thee for your intervention even in our day just at at this time oh God we want to ask that you would move and you would work in such a way that even the ungodly would have to acknowledge that this is the Lord's doing that it's the very finger of God so we ask thee Father hear our cry we come before thee today we're poor and we're needy we need the help of God stand with us Give us the help that is needed. And we pray, Father, even bless us uh, through these uh, uh, messages and through these meetings. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read the scriptures together. Uh, The scripture reading this afternoon is taken from uh, the second chapter of the prophecy of Daniel. uh, Daniel chapter 2. We're beginning to read uh, the verse 24. Um, We're reading down to the end of uh, the verse 45. So we encourage you to take the scriptures and follow with us in the word of God. Daniel chapter 2 verse 24. And let us hear the word of God at our hearts. Therefore Daniel went in unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him. Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Then Arach brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Art thou able? to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days, the, thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts come into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? 
And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. And we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power and strength and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them, over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. For as much as iron breaketh in pieces, and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all things, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with Mary clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with Mary clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest, 
that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. So we're closing our reading there, uh, just at the close of the 45th verse. And we pray the Lord will add his blessing uh, to this, the public reading uh, of his word. We'll take the opportunity just to uh, make the necessary announcements. We want to welcome you to the broadcast uh, this afternoon on behalf of the, uh, the Council of the Sovereign Grace uh, Advent Testimony. Uh, we do appreciate you uh, taking the time uh, this afternoon to listen to the broadcast and uh, to join with us. We want to welcome all our viewer, viewers uh, from wherever you are watching from uh, this afternoon. Uh, we give you an earnest word of welcome in our Saviour's name. And we do want to assure you that we appreciate very much your support and your prayers uh, for the Ministry of the Sovereign Grace uh, Advent Testimony. We thank again all that have helped us in the production of these broadcasts, uh, Mr. David McClung, uh, for all of his work, the recording of the plenaries and uh, the putting together of the service. Uh, there's a lot of time and work that goes into that. We want David to know that it's much appreciated. And also the Newton Abbey Free Presbyterian Church uh, for the use of their uh, recording uh, facilities. Uh, we do appreciate that very much. Uh, we appreciate all of their help, uh, all that they have done to help us keep these uh, meetings uh, going. Do remember to visit our uh, website and also our Facebook page. Uh, they will keep you up to date uh, with all that is taking place. and They will also help to keep you up to date just with uh, the future meetings, our future monthly uh, meetings. Remember that uh, our website has uh, a full list of publications uh, that are found in it and you can purchase uh, directly from the website. So if you're interested in further study, interested in the literature that we produce, we encourage you uh, to take the time to visit uh, the website. Remember our magazine, uh, Watching and Waiting. Uh, this is the latest edition. I would like the magazine to be as widely circulated uh, as possible. It can be posted uh, to you. It's just five pounds, uh, five pounds per per year, and that includes uh, the postage. If you contact our secretary, Mr. Toms, his details are found on our website. Uh, he'll be happy to put you upon uh, the mailing list and uh, send out uh, the magazine uh, to you. We'd also like to announce and to to make you aware just of our latest publication. It's called The Concordance to Prophecy uh, by Miss A.M. Guy. It's a very valuable uh, little booklet. It gives a very clear and concise survey uh, of future events. It will help you in your study of Bible prophecy. And we do want to commend this little booklet to you. It's just £1.50 per copy. Or there's some special offers. You can have five uh, for £5 or £25. Uh, for £20. So if you'd like a quantity to distribute among uh, your friends 
or the fellowship that you attend, the church that you attend, there are some special offers there. Contact Mr. Toms and he'll be happy uh, to help you uh, with that. The meeting next month uh, is on Friday the 23rd of October uh, at 7 o'clock in the evening. The subject is the testimony of Joel. And in the will of the Lord, I I will be the speaker uh, at that meeting in October. Uh, We ask you to remember the meeting, plan to join us, make it known uh, to others. Uh, For the remainder of the year, October and uh, November, uh, the the final two meetings of this series this year, uh, we expect the meetings to be broadcast, as we have been doing from the beginning of the lockdown. Uh, We feel that that is uh, the best a thing for us to do just in the circumstances in which we're found and then we'll have opportunity uh, at the end of the year just to review the situation, see what uh, the conditions are at that time and uh, make a decision then for the meetings uh, beginning again in uh, the new year I'd like just to mention to you uh, just by way of uh, Chairman's remarks at this time I was thinking of those words Uh, that are found in the Psalm uh, 10. And it's the words of uh, the verse 4, just at the end of the verse. It says that God is not in all his uh, thoughts. As we think of all that is going on uh, with regard to the virus, uh, the pandemic, and uh, so forth, uh, we're greatly saddened, especially by the fact that there's been very little of any talk of the Lord. Uh, or the things of God. Uh, And I think that uh, this verse uh, really sums up for us uh, the state of our society, even the state of our government. God is not in all his thoughts. These words refer to the wicked as they're found in this psalm, but they can very clearly apply, uh, not just to our own government, but even to other governments uh, across the earth. In all the efforts and there are great efforts that are being made by uh, those in medical circles, uh, all of the, the scientific people and so on, the politicians themselves. Great efforts that are being made to curtail the virus. There are great efforts being made to find uh, a vaccine for this virus. There are great efforts that are being made to help those that have contracted the virus, particularly those that have uh, fallen seriously ill with it. And we're very thankful for all of those efforts and the ability that the Lord has given uh, to all of these people. But how sad it is, uh, and it's, it's something that stands out very clearly, that in all the announcements that have been made, there has been no talk of the Lord or of the need of the Lord's help uh, in these uh, circumstances. The psalmist in Psalm 9, verse 17, talks of the nations that forget God. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations uh, that forget God. Our own nation has been singularly blessed uh, of God. What a great Christian spiritual heritage we have. And yet we find ourselves in the day in which we live in a nation that has forgotten God, uh, forgotten his word, forgotten his law, forgotten to turn to the Lord for his help and for his intervention. And that is uh, so clear, so clear at this time uh, of crisis. There is an article would commend it to you in uh, this uh, current edition of the Watching and Waiting about days of prayer and fasting that were called in our nation 
uh, in former times, particularly during the Second World War. And that is really what is needed in the days in which we're found, uh, for someone to raise their voice for God and call the nation to prayer that we would humble ourselves as we read in that great text, that great revival text, Second Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. And remember that part of the context there has to do uh, with pestilence uh, coming upon the land. There's a need for us to humble ourselves, to get down in uh, prayer and fasting before God and acknowledge our sins and the sins of our nation and call upon God to come down and to intervene and ask God in his mercy to remember us and to take away this awful plague uh, from our midst. So let us pray. We need to pray uh, for our leaders. The Bible exhorts us to do that, to pray for kings and all in authorities and authority. Uh, that is necessary at all times, but particularly at a time of pandemic, particularly at a time of crisis. Let us pray God will touch uh, their hearts. They will see the need of the Lord's help. They will see the need of the Lord's intervention. And even if God is not in the thoughts of others around us, we live in such a godless society, may the Lord be much in our thoughts and in our heart and our, that we know and we acknowledge freely uh, that we need the Lord to come down and help us and intervene uh, even at this time. And let us continue in prayer. Call upon the Lord as we indicated in the opening prayer when Moses prayed. Moses and Aaron in the days of the plagues in Egypt, he cried to the Lord and the Lord took uh, the plagues uh, away. So may the Lord bless your heart, even those uh, few thoughts just at, uh, at this time. Our second hymn, just before we come to the, to the message this afternoon, is the words when my life's work is uh, ended and I cross the swelling uh, tide. And we, we encourage you to join with us in the singing of this hymn just now, please.
Just to remind you that the speaker at the conference meeting uh, tonight is Mr. Paul Toms, a member of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony Committee. Uh, Mr. Paul Toms will be speaking on the subject of the testimony of Jeremiah. So please remember that meeting again at 7pm and if you can, uh, join with us. We're delighted that the speaker this afternoon at this special conference meeting is Mr. Stephen Toms uh, from Chelmsford. Mr. Toms has been the Secretary of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony uh, for the last 46 and a half years. Uh, the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony is unique. In uh, over 100 years now, almost 102 years uh, of witness, it has only ever had uh, two secretaries. Mr. George Fromo was the secretary right from the very beginning in November 1918 up until his death in April of 1974. So that was a period of uh, almost 56 years. And since Mr. Fromo's death, uh, Mr. Toms has been uh, the secretary. So he's creeping up in almost half a century, almost 50 years as the secretary of the SGAT. I'd like to say on behalf of the committee that we owe Mr. Toms a great debt uh, for his faithfulness, for his steadfastness, for the amount of work that he does from day to day and week to week uh, to carry this uh, testimony on. And we take the opportunity uh, in introducing him today uh, to pay tribute uh, to our brother and his dear wife also. Uh, all of the, the conference speakers are able to bear testimony to the warm hospitality uh, that they receive in their home and have done uh, for many years. And we want to thank them for that. And we look forward to be able to enjoy that fellowship with them again uh, just in coming days. Our brother and sister are like uh, Daniel. Our brother is going to be speaking on the testimony of Daniel. But he's like Daniel in the sense uh, that he's a man greatly beloved. And our sister is a sister greatly beloved as well. In the will of the Lord, Mr. Toms will be 90 years of age on the 8th of October. So in just another couple of weeks or so, uh, keep that in mind. You might like to send our brother a message or a card uh, to acknowledge uh, that significant birthday. We want to congratulate him in advance. And uh, we're praying not just that he'll be spared to see his 90th birthday, but the Lord uh, might be pleased to spare him to be with us uh, for many more years uh, to come. Just before our brother comes to bring his message, I'll mention uh, some publications to you uh, that you'll find of interest, uh, particularly in keeping with the theme of the testimony of Daniel. There's Mr. Trigelli's exposition uh, of the book of Daniel. Uh, it's priced four pounds. You're interested in studying the, the book of Daniel uh, a little further. Uh, you want to get a little deeper into the the prophetic truths of this book, and we wouldn't want to encourage that. We, we recommend uh, Mr. Tregelli's book to you on uh, the prophecy of Daniel. There's also Mr. Newton's little booklet, uh, Facts of Prophetic Scripture. This deals not just with Daniel, but also with the book of the Revelation. Uh, they give a very nice survey. Uh, this booklet gives a very nice survey of both of those important prophetic books in the Word of God. And it also shows uh, how the two books, the message of the two, uh, dovetail uh, together. Uh, it, it is very, very helpful uh, to read your way through uh, this booklet as you're studying 
uh, those two books of Scripture. This is just £1.50. And there's also the little booklet, uh, Daniel's Visions and Prophecies uh, Illustrated. This is a new and updated uh, edition of that little uh, booklet. You'll find all of these very profitable and very helpful uh, to study. And uh, we just want to take the opportunity to commend them to you. If you're interested in these for yourself or for your friends, uh, do speak to uh, our secretary. Get in touch with him as soon as uh, possible. So we're delighted Mr. Toms is the speaker. Uh, the, the testimony of Daniel is a subject, and our brother's going to come and bring that message to us uh, just now. From the passage that has been read earlier in the meeting, I feel in a way we could take two texts. And if you'll turn once again to Daniel chapter 2, a lovely text for tonight, if we need the text of course, is verse 28. There is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. And that is true. There is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. But then the last little part that we read in verse 45. The dream is certain and the interpretation thereof sure. God has revealed things in his holy word and he did use the prophets to reveal things as we've been thinking in our studies. And uh, what God says is absolutely sure. But before we get down to Daniel, I would just like to say one or two things as Secretary of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. I haven't been able to speak as Secretary at any meeting since last February. But there are two things that I ought to say. Perhaps it's the one thing, but it's a word of thanks to two people. I would like to thank Mr McMillan for um, all that he has done while these messages are being broadcast. He has taken the chair at all the meetings, at the April conference meetings and all the subsequent meetings. And in a way that's rather nice because the first chairman of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony, Mr Lynn, at the time when I was born in the late and in the late 20s into the 1930s, Mr Lynn used to take the chair at all the regular meetings. They weren't just once a month in those days, they had two or three meetings a month. It worked out in the main to be every other Friday. Every other Friday. But uh, Mr Lynn used to take the chair. And um, he certainly took the chair at the, meet at the meeting the night before I was born actually. There was a meeting then. but uh, So I'm thankful to Mr McMillan. It's meant a lot of running about for him and a lot of work for him. And I'm very grateful for all that he has done. And I'm also very grateful to Mr David McClung from uh, Newton Abbey Church. We're grateful to the Newton Abbey Church for their help. But David McClung in particular has been very, very helpful in arranging all the things which I could never do. I'm not up in all this modern technology and I wouldn't know how to do it. And uh, Mr McClung has, has done very well for us over these past months. And I wonder sometimes if it will be for a few more months. We shall have to wait and see. But let's get back to Daniel then, shall we? We've been studying throughout the year and we hope to do the same next year at the various prophets. 
at um, our centenary meeting, one of the centenary meetings, the one in Northern Ireland. Mr. Foster was the preacher and, and he mentioned that text where uh, God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets. The words uttered by Peter, we read them in Acts 3. And we've been looking at these prophecies. Not perhaps all of them are recorded. Well, obviously they're not. But all the prophets spoke about the Lord Jesus Christ and about his second coming. And God revealed things through the prophets. That's what we read in verse 28. There is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. And furthermore, what God revealed is absolutely true. In this case, in Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream and he couldn't remember, or he said he couldn't remember what it was. And his wise men couldn't tell him, but Daniel was able to say what the dream was. He spoke about this great image that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about. And uh, he said, the dream is certain, and it was. It was certainly exactly what Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed. God had revealed that to him. But the dream was only a dream. It was an allegory in a way, or something setting forth. And God does use types and shadows and dreams and visions. But as far as the interpretation of the dream is concerned, the interpretation that God gave to Daniel, that was sure. The things that God had said would happen, they really were going to happen. It was absolutely sure and certain. So, um, in thinking about Daniel, Daniel was a, a wonderful character. I feel that in many ways we can see that. But one of the things I noticed about Daniel is that uh, he, he is called there a man greatly beloved. You might like to turn to these references. In Daniel chapter 10 and in verse um, in verse 10, or verse 11, it is, he said, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved. And in a way that's repeated in verse 19. O man greatly beloved. Now this is a messenger from heaven speaking. And I do not know of any other mere man if you can think of one, you can tell me. But I do not know of any other mere man who was addressed in this way. Oh, greatly beloved. Not as a message from heaven. I'm sure Daniel was loved by many people and I think he's loved by many of us. We love to read, I love to read the book of Daniel and I expect you do too. It's a lovely book. But um, here's an evidence that he was a man loved from heaven. Now, as far as I know, the only other person that we read about in the Bible of whom such words are spoken was our Lord Jesus Christ. When God said, This is my beloved Son. And there's another interesting little phrase concerning Daniel. It says in the story in chapter 6, where we read about the um, lions in the lion's den, the start of the story is that these men who 
disliked Daniel, were against him, uh, and they said that he had an excellent spirit. But in verse 4, this is what he says. There was, they couldn't find any error or fault in him. Now, that is the kind of reading that we have concerning the words of Pilate about the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I find no fault in this man. So in a wonderful way, I feel that uh, Daniel has a resemblance to the Lord Jesus Christ, which of course should be true of all believers. We like Daniel because Daniel seems to be so true right the way through the book, doesn't he? All the way through. And um, he sought to remain faithful to the things he had believed when he was young. There's that little phrase about him in the first chapter and in verse 8. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And that was true of Daniel throughout his life. He purposed in his heart. He, he had that desire of heart that he would cleave to what was right and abstain from that which was wrong. I suppose it could be said of him as it was said of Job. He eschewed evil. Now, here I am expected to speak about the prophecies of Daniel. And I was just thinking in my mind, it's only five years ago that we looked at this book of Daniel and took a whole year to do it. And I would think that all the speakers that took part in the meeting would say that they didn't deal with their subject exhaustively. There is so much more to be said. So how do I squeeze all this in to this little time? But we'll have a try. I would like to say, first of all, that anybody who wants to study the book of Daniel, and Christians ought to, should have Daniel's book on, and Tregellis' book, Dr. Tregellis' book on Daniel. We call it Tregellis on Daniel, but the title of the book given by Dr. Tregellis was Remarks on Prophetic Visions in the Book of Daniel, and that's what it is. It's not a commentary on the whole book of Daniel, but it's just some remarks on the prophetic visions. This is the copy that uh, the SJT uh, printed in more recent years. If you find an older copy um, on a bookstore, it's good to buy it. Mr. Fromo used to say, I'm sure he told me at one time, that um, when he was very young, he bought a second-hand copy of Trugelis on Daniel in a second-hand bookshop in West London. And I'm sure he said to me that he paid tuppence for it. That's two big pennies, as they used to be. Um, you can get two of those into one of our pence today. One pence, one penny. But um, he bought it for tuppence. I'm sure that's what he told me. But it was a book that opened his eyes to many things. And it was a real blessing to him. And I'm sure... It will be a blessing to any of our hearers today. If you haven't got Tregellis on Daniel, you ought to get it. And um, I want to emphasise that. And really, you, you start with, with um, 
Daniel, when you start to study prophecy, it's the way in which I started. I know many of you will have heard me say this before or write it even, read it, and I've written it. But uh, when I was a boy, uh, just at 10 years of age, my father took us as a family, my mother and father perhaps I should say, took us as a family to a meeting in Thaden Boys in Essex where Mr. Fromo was giving his slides lecture, a Bible Lands in Bible Light. Uh, and I found that extremely interesting. And uh, in his slides, he showed slides from Daniel's visions and prophecies, and uh, that got me interested in prophecy. I used to read as a boy over and over again, through Daniel 2, through Daniel 7, and through Daniel 8. And uh, as I say, it's really a starting point for everybody. When Mr. Paul Connor wrote this little book, The Coming of the Son of Man, he starts with an exposition of Daniel. And for that matter, that book is included in the book that we brought out in 2012, Champion of the Truth, which, is, which contains a whole lot of Mr. Paul Connor's writings. And that is a, a good book to have. But, as I say, it all starts with Daniel. So, Daniel is a, a book for us all to read. And here's a book to read. I thought I would turn you to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're twice in the New Testament. you find them in Matthew 24, and you find them in Mark 13. But when the disciples came to the Lord Jesus, asking him about the end of the age... That was one of the three questions that they asked. When they asked him about that, the Lord Jesus Christ mentioned in reply, Daniel. And you see from verse 15, that this is what he said. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. And then he said, Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then, and he gives them instructions what to do. A similar prophecy that the Lord Jesus Christ gave, it was the same occasion, I believe, in Mark 13, but this is Mark's account of it. Mark says in uh, chapter 13, verse 14, When you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not. Let him that readeth understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee, and so on. But we learn first of all from that, I think, that Daniel was a man who did exist. I say that because it may not be in our subject today, but there are those who try and infer that uh, Daniel wasn't in existence. And the Lord Jesus Christ also says that he is the prophet, Daniel the prophet. This man whom he refers to is a prophet. He spoke the word of God. That's what Daniel did. And then the Lord Jesus Christ said, and that's recorded in both Matthew and in Mark, Whoso readeth, let him understand. 
And so Jesus was saying, we should understand the book of Daniel. We should read it and we should understand it. I used to work with a man who was a professing Christian who said that whenever he meets people who talk about Daniel and the Revelation, this is what he said to me one day, years ago, way back in the 1950s, he said, when I meet people who talk about Daniel and the Revelation, uh, I cut off. Uh, I don't know whether that's his exact wording, but he, he doesn't want to listen to it. But Jesus places such an importance on this book of Daniel. I'm afraid there are many ministers and many others today who don't give consideration to what we find in this book of Daniel. But we ought to read it. Not just ministers, but the general public, the people who sit in the pew, believers, ought to read the book of Daniel and they ought to seek to understand. You might think it's hard to be understood, but we'll come to that later, God willing. Now, this afternoon, I would like just to talk about three little points. The first one is his prayer. You may think that's nothing to do with his prophecy, but I feel it's very relevant and I trust we shall see that as we look at it. His prayer and then his prophecy. You may think that's the main part and I expect it will be, but we'll have to see as we go along. His prophecy and then thirdly his piety. And, and I feel very definitely that that is linked to the prophecy. So they're the three thoughts, his prayer, his prophecy, and his piety. Now Daniel was a man of prayer. That is a fact. We find throughout the book that Daniel brought things to the Lord. He had times when he needed God's help, and instead of trying to solve the problem himself, he sought the Lord's help and guidance. In that chapter that was, we read from, um, chapter 2, you'll remember the story how that Nebuchadnezzar had, had these dream, this dream and he couldn't remember it. And his wise men said to him that um, no one can tell you the dream unless you tell them what the dream was. They can't, so we can't tell you the meaning unless you tell us what the dream was. But with Daniel, he realised that there was a way of telling the dream. Though the rest of the wise men of Babylon could not, he understood that there was a way. And so we read that he went into his house in verse 17 with his three friends, whom we know mainly as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, but their right names are given there, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. These three friends, they went into the house of Daniel and it says there that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret. They wanted God to tell them what the dream was and what it meant. And God did precisely that. God answered this prayer. And in Daniel's prayer life, he was thankful. And you read in verse uh, 23, it's something of his response. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might, and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee. 
God had answered his prayer. So right at the start, you see him as a man of prayer. But when we talk about him being a man of prayer, uh, we can't help but turn to chapter 6. Chapter 6. When these princes and presidents, who were so much against Daniel, they were jealous of him. When they were so much against him and they were trying to find something that would cause the king to dispose of Daniel, they couldn't find anything at all. And they, they say in verse 5, We shall not find any fault against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. They realised that it was only something in his religion in which they could bring him down. And so they go to the king and uh, say, all the presidents of the kingdom, verse 7, the governors and the princes and the councillors and the captains have consulted together, which wasn't true because Daniel wasn't in the consultation. But what did they say? To make a decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days. They understood this plain fact that Daniel was a man of prayer and so they link on to that and say it's uh, his, his uh, way of life to petition his God. So the law we can ask the king to make is if any man should ask a petition of any God, he should be cast into the den of lions. And there they thought they would um, dispose of him. And then regarding Daniel's prayer, you see in verse 10, when Daniel knew that the writing was agreed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, which reminds us of Solomon's prayer, Solomon prayed, didn't he, if they, they could waken away to a strange land, look towards this house in Jerusalem. Well, he turned toward Jerusalem and he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed. He wouldn't give up his prayer life. <laughs> whatever, the, whatever the princes and the presidents had, had uh, plotted against him, he continued in that life of prayer. And so in verse 13, we read the way in which they came to him and came to the king and said that Daniel, he maketh his petition three times a day. It was very evident. Daniel made no secret of it that he was a man who sought the Lord. And in these visions, if you turn to chapter 7, this is the vision of the four great beasts coming out of the sea. It says there in um, verse 16, that when one came near to him, the heavenly being, he asked him the truth of it. He asked him. He prayed to him. He wanted to know what the vision meant. And in verse 19, it's a very interesting verse, isn't it? He says, I would know the truth of the false beast. That was the thing that intrigued him. So this is a further prayer that he uttered. I would know the truth of it and then in verse in chapter 8 and in verse 15 when Daniel had seen the vision of the, uh, the ram and the he goat it says there when he had seen the vision 
he sought for the meaning. It's the same thought, isn't it, of prayer? But even chapter 9 is a greater chapter, isn't it? Because there we have recorded one of his prayers. Uh, and that's a, a marvellous chapter. We haven't got time to look at it, but you do see the way in which he prayed. It goes really from verse 3 right down to verse 19 where he identified himself with the sin of the people and he pleaded with God. O Lord, hear, says verse 19. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. And God answered in a remarkable way, really. Well, it was remarkable. I remember Mr Douglas preaching on this chapter and he pointed out the importance of the time when he prayed. It says it in verse 1 and it says it in verse 2. And Mr Douglas linked it up with other scriptures and other parts of the Bible uh, and showed the importance of that prayer. We haven't time to talk about all that today, but it's an interesting study in itself, and you do well to do it. But when we come to chapter 10, I find this very intriguing. Chapter 10, he says in verse 12, this is the heavenly messenger who came to Daniel and dressed him in that way, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words. And then he says this in verse 12, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand. There was Daniel, who, here it's acknowledged, that from the first day he set his heart to understand. And God had taken notice of that all through those years. And remember that Daniel would now have been an old man. I could have said when we were talking about chapter 9, couldn't I, that... Uh, but perhaps it'll come out later anyway, that he was taken into captivity when he was young. They were 70 years under the Babylonian rule, but now they'd been transferred to the Medo-Persian rule. So he was 70 years older than he was when he was taken captive. And there from the very beginning, he had been praying and at this stage of his life, when he's much older, he's now having his prayer wonderfully answered. In verse 16, one like the similitude of the sons of man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remained no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. That was the effect it had. And he confesses that in his prayer. Verse 19, where Daniel is again addressed, O man greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And then going on, 
in chapter 12, the last chapter. He says there, I heard, but I understood not. That's a remarkable thing, isn't it? You know, if people like to think that somebody was later on writing all these prophecies, as some of these modernists make out, the truth of the matter is that Daniel was writing down things that he didn't really understand. And um, I understood not, he said. But that was why he prayed for understanding. And he says, oh my Lord, what shall the end of, be the end of these things? It was impressed on me very greatly at one time that um, if Daniel could pray for understanding, there's no reason why we shouldn't. I sometimes fear that many men approach these prophetic passages and they like to feel they know what it means. And they can't hardly take in that it actually means what it says. So they come up with strange notions about what they would like it to mean. And they give what they call an interpretation. They use the pious phrase, don't they? I've heard it. Um, principles of prophetic interpretation. Well, plain statements don't need to be interpreted. Dreams and visions and types and shadows and things do. But plain statements do not need to be interpreted. And Daniel prayed for understanding, and we see that through, through the, the, all these prayers, really. He wanted to know what God's message was for him. Well, let's come to the message, shall we? I mention again... Dr. Kelly's book uh, because he does go through these prophetic passages. It's very interesting to read the book through and it's very simple and very obvious. He shows that we have no need to go outside of Scripture to understand Scripture. We've no need to look at what has happened in history. History confirms the Scripture, of course it does. But that's a thing that... Um, Dr. Trigellis emphasises. But this book is only really about the prophetic visions. It doesn't deal with the historical chapters in the main. Chapters like Daniel in the lion's den or, or the writing on the wall in chapter 5 and so on. But there is a chapter in it on chapter 4 which of course is the chapter about Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the great tree which grew. And that was really fulfilled in Nebuchadnezzar's lifetime. But that's a very useful chapter because Trigellius shows that, um, that the prophecy, the dream that was uh, certain, <laughs> and the interpretation sure, the meaning that was given to the dream, as expounded by Daniel, he was inspired of God to do it, of course, came precisely true. It all happened, even to the extent of the way in which Nebuchadnezzar's body was affected. And that it all happened for seven years, which is the precise time that was, was um, prophesied. 
So it's very good to have that extra chapter in there, which does remind us that as Daniel 4 was fulfilled precisely, so Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 and Daniel 8 and Daniel 11 and so on, they'll all be fulfilled precisely according as God has said. The exposition of the dreams or visions that were given will be fulfilled precisely. Now, um, there's an, another thing that's interesting. I don't think I'll mention that. I don't talk a length any about, about it. There is an interesting chapter in this book, or part of it anyway, an essay on chapter 12, verse 2 where he shows that uh, not as many teach, that verse does not give us a general resurrection. It gives us the resurrection of the just, as we read elsewhere in Scripture, and then another time later, the resurrection of the unjust. But there you are, if you get the book, you'll, you'll see it, and uh, it's all very interesting. I could also mention this little booklet, again and emphasize it the um, Daniel's visions and prophecies illustrated it's um, it's these pictures in this book that Mr. Framo had on his slides there's the four beasts these pictures that Mr. Framo had his slide on his slides that so impressed me when I was young and of course you've got the maps on the back of it of the Babylonian Empire all coming to the, the Mediterranean Sea. Um, the Babylonian Empire touched the, the east side of the Mediterranean Sea. And the Medo-Persian Empire, which took over the Babylonian Empire really, went a little further and took in part of Africa and over into Asia Minor or Turkey as we call it today. And then of course Greece extended even further, Alexander the Great. And then the Roman Empire, in the end, surrounded the whole of the Mediterranean Sea. So that's a very interesting thing. There are, these things are all brought out in Tregelli's book, but uh, it's very interesting to see. But if we turn, first of all, to chapter 2 and think of the prophecy of Daniel, this is the explanation that he gave to Nebuchadnezzar. It was the... The message that God had showed him, he had sought God's help, and it's so important to ask God to help us, isn't it? How foolish it is to come to the Bible and not pray that simple prayer, open thou mine eyes, like the psalmist did. Help me to see what's in the Word of God. We ought never to think of ourselves as so learned that we can understand everything by our natural reason. This is what Daniel did, and God gave him the answer. Uh, and he, he says there about this dream, you remember it was about the big image. I don't suppose I need to say anything more about that, but it was a big image whose head was of gold, and the breast and arms of silver, and belly and thighs of, of um, brass, and legs of iron, of, um, well, legs of iron and, and feet, with the ten toes, with um, made of iron and and earthenware clay, 
which does not mix. And they're all being hit by this stone, which was cut out without hands. Well, that was the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and he knew it was true. What God had revealed to Daniel was absolutely right. You could say this, you see, the dream is certain, and the interpretation of sure. The interpretation is sure. And this is what he says, verse 36. We will tell the interpretation. And then he talks about Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom in verse 37. Well, that's past. He talks about the other kingdoms that shall arise, verse 39. And last of all, verse 40, the fourth kingdom. Now, that's a matter of history. Those things have happened. The first, the second, the third kingdom. And in fact, the fourth kingdom. We read in the Bible how Rome was there uh, in the days when the Lord Jesus Christ walked on this earth. But in verse 41 it says that Nebuchadnezzar saw the toes, part of pottery and part of iron. And he said, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest, the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. But then he goes on in verse 44 to say, And in the days of those kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand for ever. In the days of these kings, that's what it says, and we've never seen the ten kings, or the ten kingdoms. That part of the dream has not yet been fulfilled. Mr Dix once said to Mr Fromo, where do you get the idea of the Ten Kingdoms? And Mr Fromo replied, take off your socks and shoes and count your toes. <laughs> and these are the kings, there will be ten. If you count your toes and if I count my toes, we've got ten. That's pretty simple, isn't it? But... Uh, there will be ten kings that shall arise, and this is confirmed, of course, later on, but they would have the kingdom. But it's in the days of those kings that God will intervene and set up his own kingdom. Verse 45, For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. The dream is certain and the interpretation thereof sure. And as far as, as far as being hereafter, you notice in the dream in verse 35, it says that this stone that, um, that uh, caused this, this um, image to crash, it became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. It filled the whole earth. It speaks about the earth. Mr Payne used to say that, um, and he was right of course, 
that the kingdom of God is internal and it's external and it's eternal. And that is right. It's internal. The kingdom of God is among you or within you. Jesus is translated within you. It's the marginal reference is among. It wasn't really in the Pharisees and scribes, but it was among you. And the kingdom of God is in the hearts of all believers. But the kingdom of God will be external. It will reveal itself on the earth. But that's not the end of the kingdom. The kingdom goes on and on and on forever and ever and it becomes eternal. So there we have it um, there in Daniel 2. If you turn over now to Daniel 7, which is the story of these four beasts coming out of the, the um, sea, the great sea, which is of course the Mediterranean. I hope friends who are listening to this broadcast have read the articles by Mr Macmillan in the Watching and Waiting magazines throughout the year. Um, he's shown us, and it's right of course too, that this great sea is the Mediterranean Sea. There are lots of other things that uh, Mr Macmillan has brought out. And those articles are well worth reading and keeping. But this is the, this is the uh, vision of the, that was given to Daniel of these great beasts. And as far as the interpretation is concerned, if you look at verse 17, Daniel was told, These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Well, I suggest to you that hasn't happened. It didn't happen by the gospel being preached in the days of the apostles. But this is what Daniel says. It would happen. But Daniel's particular interest was in this fourth beast, verse 19. I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet, and of the ten horns. If you have ten toes on your foot, this beast had ten horns that were in his head. And of the other, another one came up, before whom three fell. That horn had eyes and a mouth which spake great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. So Daniel is told more things here than was revealed to Nebuchadnezzar in his dream of the image. The same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. I find there's a lot of preachers going around today speaking as if The Christian gospel is going to take over the world. But that's not what's going to happen. There's going to be apostasy. There's going to be a turning from God. There's been, there will be opposition to God's people. That's what we read in the scriptures in many, many places. William Wilman once um, did an article in which he showed that the end days are described by many words in the Bible. He counted them all. I forget what he said, but I think it was over a hundred altogether. Different words, disobedient to parents and all that kind of thing. Uh, and uh, the, evil, the evil leader at the end of this age, that same horn, makes war with the saints and prevailed. But it's only until, verse 12, until the Ancient of Days came 
and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. And then he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth. Well, that's Rome. So we might well expect it to be this area. It's on the front there as well. This area around the Mediterranean Sea, which includes England and part of Scotland. Um, where was I? Verse, um, verse 23. Fourth kingdom should be the fourth, fourth beast be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them. And he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until the time, and times, and the dividing of the time. That's those, the time is a year of course, times is dual, that's two years, and the dividing of time is half a year, so that's a total of three and a half years. It's a period about which you read in other parts of the Bible, as 42 months or 1260 days, all these things unite to show that God means these are literal, as a literal period of three and a half years. That's what it will be at the end of this age. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion. There will come an end to Antichrist. A kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven, not in heaven, but under the whole heaven, shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Doesn't that coincide with the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount and indeed with David in the Psalms? The meek shall inherit the earth. That hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. But it shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. He will reign on earth for a thousand years, but it doesn't end there. It's an everlasting kingdom. And all dominions shall serve and obey him. All those who have rebelled against God, every knee to him shall bow. That is the truth of the matter. Can I mention verse 28? I never intended to at this stage, but it does say there that his cogitations, that's his deep thoughts, troubled him. That's Daniel. But he kept the matter in his heart. He didn't try and get rid of it. He thought about it. It was a revelation from God. And he thought about the matter. In chapter 8, we read the story of the ram and the he-goat. The ram and the he-goat. And we're told what these mean. We're the prophet says quite clearly in one of those verses who is referred to. But if you look at chapter 8, you remember how the, the rams seemed to have such great power, but then the he-goat came and opposed him and dealt with him. Verse 20 says, The ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia. 
The rough goat is the king of Grisha. The great horn that rose up is between his eyes is the first king. We do know from history that was Alexander the Great, but we don't need to know because this tells us there will be a first king. But that being broken, <clears throat> four stood up. Again, we know from history that his kingdom was divided between his four generals. That is a fact of history, but we don't need to know because we're told here what would happen before it happened. It's happened now, but we were told before what happened. But it does say in verse 23, in the latter time, because there was this other horn that came, in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, you think of that, transgressors coming to the full. Some of us think things are pretty bad now. Things have certainly got a lot worse in my last time, my lifetime. My father never knew some of the things that have happened since he died. Mr. Fromo used to think things were bad enough in his lifetime. And Mr. Payne used to think things were bad enough in his lifetime. Well, going back earlier, Mr. Newton in the 19th century thought things were bad in his lifetime. But uh, they're not as bad as they will be even yet. That's what it says, isn't it? When transgressors are come to the full, that's the time when a king of fierce countenance understanding dark sentences, shall stand up, and his power shall be mighty. This man, who's called in scripture the Antichrist, or the man of sin, there are various names for him actually, quite a lot of different names. Um, he will rise and have such power over these ten kingdoms, the old Roman Empire, this area round the, round the uh, Mediterranean Sea. That's really why the European Union can't be the finality of it all. The final union will be including North Africa and parts of what we now call the Middle East. Not just Europe. Some of these countries, and some of these countries will have to disappear from, from the scene. But um, this, is, this is what Daniel is being told here. This is what is said for us plainly. His power shall be mighty, says verse 24, but not by his own power. And we know from Revelation 13, he will be powered by the devil. He shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace he'll come in with words of peace. Isn't that a common thing these days? Those in Northern Ireland have heard a lot about this so-called peace protest. But is it peace? And they're always trying to talk about peace in the Middle East. But is it peace? We know that the Arab nations hate Israel and want to wipe it out. Sadly, they will be taken in by the Antichrist. There you are. It says there the vision is for many days, verse 26. Now, when we look upon this, we can say as certainly as the first part of this vision and the first part of Nebuchadnezzar's dream was fulfilled literally, the prophecy 
was to be the explanation of the dream was fulfilled literally so that part which has not yet been fulfilled literally must be fulfilled literally. I see no alternative to that. It's, it's very foolish to try and answer it away and say it means something else. Well, that's how I feel about it anyway. When we come to 9, that chapter we referred to where Daniel prayed, Daniel was approached by a heavenly being and given a wonderful, uh, wonderful thoughts, a wonderful truth about what would happen. It was the prophecy of these 70 weeks. Now we know that the first 69 weeks, they're divided here between the first seven weeks and the first 62, then the 62 weeks, they do take us right up to the time when Messiah was cut off, when the Lord Jesus Christ died. That was fulfilled absolutely, as it says here. But then God separates this last week. It's something quite different. And this one week, which is a period, of course, of seven years, do I need to say that? There's no English equivalent to the the Hebrew word here, heptad. It's, um, we say a dozen for 12 or a score for 20, but this is really seven. And, and the only, or the nearest translation for a word like that would be week, which is made up of seven days. But you know from the story of Jacob serving for Rachel, it's a week, it was seven years anyway. And of course, if you read Trigalis on Daniel, you'll see about the week, as it's mentioned in Daniel 4, meant seven years. Those people who who believe in a year-day theory and think it means days would mean that Nebuchadnezzar was still suffering. But that's not true, of course, it's the week. These last seven years, in the middle of the week, he will cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And I didn't mention it earlier, and I meant to really, but it's here, or this is one of the places, where we read about the abomination of desolation. The Lord Jesus Christ said, we saw that in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, didn't we? Now when you see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place, I meant to say as well that Mark says where it ought not. It didn't ought to be there. But Matthew says it very specifically where it will be. It will be in the holy place, in the temple that will be in Jerusalem. When you see the abomination of desolation in the holy place, then you'll know that the end is nigh. That's one of the signs that the Lord Jesus Christ himself gave. And he said that this abomination of desolation was spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Well, here it is in verse 27. The overspreading of abominations, which is, of course, an idol, and make it desolate. Well, this will be placed in the holy place, in the temple there at Jerusalem. It'll make the covenant for seven years with Israel, and Israel will think they're having the marvellous peace treaty. And then, of course, he breaks it after three and a half years and brings upon Israel extreme persecution and ultimately seeks to wipe the nation out. He doesn't do it. 
God intervenes. I love that passage in Isaiah 10 where it says that uh, when they get down to the final part of wiping out Israel in Jerusalem and destroying Jerusalem, when they get to Nob, which is just on the north of Jerusalem as they come down from Armageddon, that's not a battle at Armageddon, but the meeting place of the forces, they come down, God will lock them off. It's a marvellous expression. God will deal with it then. Um, but that's going into other prophecies, isn't it? But here we are in verse 27, the abomination of desolation which will be set up. Uh, and perhaps I could just mention the other places where that's mentioned. I should have done it earlier. In chapter 11, we haven't talked about chapter 11 much, but it's a very interesting chapter. Uh, chapter 11 in verse 31, he says there, there'll be the taking away of the daily sacrifice there in the temple and shall place the abomination, this idol, that maketh desolate. That's something that the Antichrist will do. And also in chapter 12, verse 11, take away the daily sacrifice and the abomination that maketh desolate shall set up. So these are these are prophecies. There's three times the abomination of desolation is mentioned in Daniel. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ told us we should read about and understand. As far as chapter 11 is concerned, um, I would suggest to you that, um, that the first four verses deal with what has come to pass already. But the remaining verses from verse 5 onwards deal with the wars of the last days. I don't think we'll have time to go into it thoroughly now, but Mr. Payne did deal with that in a, in a um, meeting of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony in 1949. His article was printed in the Watching and Waiting at the time, and we reprinted it on the centenary of his birth, which was 1992. He was born in 1892. The Last Wars and the Wise. That, that's an article which is well worth having. It goes through this chapter 11 very thoroughly. And he says there what I've just said, and I agree with him, you see, that the break is in between chapter 4 and chapter um, verse 4 and verse 5. So it's good to, it's good to read these things. And uh, these give us extreme detail about the kind of wars that will go on. That's what Miriam brought out in his articles, that wars haven't finished. There will be wars. And chapter 11 of Daniel speaks about it. Of course, when we, had, when we went through the book of Daniel five years ago, it, these kind of things were brought out then. But it, it's good to give time and thought to these things, of what the Antichrist will be and what he will do. And God spoke these things by the mouth of all his holy prophets. But he certainly spoke it by the mouth of Daniel. Daniel gives testimony to all these things. But I did want to say to conclude a little bit about his piety because I think that is important. Why I say it's important is because I believe that our understanding of prophecy should have an effect upon our lives. 
You know, in 1 John 3, it, it says, He who hath this hope purifieth himself, even as he is pure. There is an effect that when you have the hope that God has set before us, when you understand prophecy, it's not that you might go around saying, I know what's going to happen. You will know what is going to happen in many things. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ gave the picture, and Mr. Trigrellis brings this out in his book, actually, um, gave the picture of the fig tree. When you see the fig tree blooming, blossoming, do you know that summer is nigh? And Jesus said, when you see these things come to pass, then you know that the time is nigh, that these things, that the end will be near. And that's very, very true. In fact, Dr. Gellis puts it quite graphically, really, saying something like, if, if he was on a desert island and had no calendar and didn't know anything about days and time, but he, he understood that there was a fig tree there on the island and uh, in summer there was going to be a boat come to the island so he might get off the island, something like that, Dr. Scully said, he would be watching, he would be watching the fig tree to see when it did blossom. And there may be times when he thought it was going to blossom, but it hasn't blossomed yet. But when it does blossom, then he knows it's summer and the boat was going to arrive. Well, that's so with these things. When we study the scripture and know the signs, we're not told to stand looking up into heaven. We are told to be watching, so what are we to watch? We watch these signs that are given to us here in Daniel, as well as in other parts of scripture. We watch for these signs, and when they come to pass, we know that the end is drawing very near. And particularly as we've been reminded that abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. But what I was trying to say was this, that it had an effect on Daniel's life. Because he understood, was given understanding, then he sought to live a holy life. Of course, you will say to me, well that started when he was a young man and it do it. We've already referred to chapter 1 verse 18 where he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. And he was like that when he was young. But we read it right through the book, don't we? That, um, that uh, he sought to cleave to the Lord and always do what was right even though he may be cast in the den of lions or whatever may happen. When you think of the the plain messages that he gave to the kings, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, he spoke very plainly and blatantly to them about their sin. But um, that was because he sought to do what was right in the sight of God. But it led him to separation. He didn't try to be like the others. We said when he was young, he didn't just say, well, I must fall in with what everybody else is doing. He wouldn't, he purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat. But it happened right through, didn't it? When, when these princes and presidents schemed against him, he didn't say, I'll fall in with that and not let them know that I'm praying to God. He did what was right and he set his face toward Jerusalem and he prayed three times a day. I like the way in which Daniel uses his name throughout the book. You know, he says, 
Daniel. Now we know from that first chapter that um, Nebuchadnezzar gave him a name according to his God. Belteshazzar. But it seems to me that he'd refused to take that name. He, he always called himself Daniel. Except when he was quoting um, a Chaldee person. And when they said to him, O Belteshazzar, well that was a different matter. But what I'm trying to say is, he remained, that, he remained in that position of separation right the way through, which is a scriptural doctrine to be separate. Separate from the world, separate from false religion. That was Daniel all the way through. We, we perhaps could look at some of those verses. Chapter 4, where he, he says to plainly to Nebuchadnezzar, my counsel, break off thy sins. Turn away from thine iniquities. Do what is right. That's a very that's a very bold way to speak to a king, especially a king like Nebuchadnezzar, who had absolute power. And when we come to chapter five, Belshazzar, you see, he says there in verse twenty-six that about the meaning of the words that were written on the wall. And that God's judgment was upon Belshazzar. These were very plain words that he spoke. We already referred to chapter 7 verse 28. How that the vision that was given to him made him think deeply and he kept the matter in his heart. He was concerning himself about God's truth. We've already referred to verse nine, to chapter 9. His prayer which shows a deep conviction of sin. He didn't isolate from the sin of the people, but, but it shows the kind of man that he really was. And, and I love this chapter 10, verse 12. We've referred to it already. But when the heavenly being said to him, from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand, and to chasten thyself before thy God. That was a real picture of Daniel's life. He tried to understand God's revelation. And he did seek to chasten himself. To not think of himself more highly than he ought. But rather to live in humility and subjection to God. So what I'm trying to say is... His understanding of prophetic truth brought him to the position where he sought the Lord and sought to walk in the ways of God and applied that principle of separation in every aspect of his life, throughout his life, even as a young man, right through to the end. And what a principle for us. If we really believe that the world is getting a worse place, we shan't want to mix with it. We shall want to be as one of the world. If we believe that religion is going into, has gone into, you might think, into apostasy, you don't want to mix with false religion. You don't want to be in a church or in a denomination that is all mixed up and doesn't stand for God's truth. You won't want to walk that pathway. That is, 
if you're anything like Daniel. We do thank the Lord's servant for the message that he's brought to us, the time that he's given, not just in the delivery of this message, but uh, the many hours of careful preparation and study uh, that has gone into putting the message together in order to deliver it uh, to us. We encourage you to take the time to listen to the message again. Remember that the recordings uh, are available. Go on to our sermon audio site and you'll be able to hear these messages. Again, also our Facebook page and our YouTube channel. And we encourage you to uh, let others know about the messages as well, others that you think would profit uh, from uh, hearing these messages. Uh, We would like the message uh, to go out just as as widely uh, as possible. Uh, The closing hymn for our service this afternoon is the hymn that is based on the dying words of the great covenanter Samuel Rutherford. The hymn was written by Anne Ross Cousins. The sands of time are sinking. The dawn of heaven breaks. The summer morn I've sighed for. The fair sweet morn uh, awakes. So we're going to sing our closing hymn uh, together, please.
Let's just take time now to seek the Lord in prayer. Pray for his blessing to rest upon the word that has gone forth and to be with us, uh, even in the interval between this meeting and uh, uh, the meeting to come a little later on this evening. So let's seek the Lord. Father, thank you for the meeting this afternoon. Thank you for our brother. Uh, We thank you for his faithfulness. We thank you for his ministry. Continue to bless our brother. Continue to use him. Thank you for the blessing that has been to us this afternoon for the things that you've revealed to us. Lord, we thank you for the testimony there is of your servant, Daniel. We thank you for his faithfulness. Lord, even in that dark place of Babylon, how you enabled him to remain true and to walk with God. And Lord, we would ask, uh, give us the same strength. Give us the same courage. Fill us with thy spirit. And Lord, as the days darken and as the day of the Saviour's return draws nigh, We want to pray, enable us to be faithful, even as the book of the Revelation exhorts. Help us to be faithful unto death, knowing that you'll give to us the crown of life. So, Father, bless your word and be with us. We ask thee to remember the meeting this evening. Give help to your servant. Bless our hearts again. Even give us the double portion of thy spirit upon us. And we ask now that the blessing of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will be our abiding portion, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.